Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. Welcome to the enumerated, no, (laughs) unenumerated episode of Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today, the final episode for Ferdinand of Aragon. So far, surprising. Yeah, well. For us, for me. Surprising. I'm going to need you to concentrate today. Uh-oh. And that goes for the <laughs> that goes for listening several as well. So if you're on the motorway, stroke freeway, pull over onto the hard shoulder. <laughs> if you're looking after young children, shove them in a corner. They'll be fine for an hour or so. I need you to sit down on a hard chair, put your hands in your lap and concentrate. Okay. I've read through this several times in the calendar rolls and each time I get to a point where I think... Well, hang on a minute, surely he should be on the other side. Uh-oh. And then I'd realise I got hopelessly confused and had to go back to the beginning. So in the end, I wrote this out as bullet points, <laughs> just so I could keep them steady in my, my head. So it's in part three, we're going to follow Ferdinand's grand plan from conception to the end. And it draws in most of the big players in Europe at this time, but it draws in Henry VIII in a particularly interesting way. Okay. And it's a real insight in how Ferdinand's mind worked. Okay. My God, didn't it work? (laughs) Because if you remember my sort of throwaway remark in part one about when I gave a description of Ferdinand, I don't mean the bit about the monobrow. I mean the fact he was a chess master from a young age. Yeah. You can really see it in the way he operates. Okay. He's always thinking several steps in advance because he has the Pope as his bishop Yes. Philip is his knight, since he was so keen on chivalry. Uh, Maximilian's the castle, whooshing backwards and forwards across the board with no particular finesse. (laughs) And then Henry VIII, Henry was his dispensable little pawn. Oh, no! To be used as long as it's needed and then to be sacrificed in the interest of the bigger game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everybody's probably going to vilify me or lynch me, but... Henry VIII is not a monarch I like. <laughs> well, we're in, the, we're in the early stages, so the nicer bit, before he had his accident and had his funny year and then put on all that weight. <laughs> yes. So here we go. Ferdinand's big plan. Okay. If Archduke Charles V was to get everything, Aragon, okay. Castile, Sicily... Naples, Sardinia, Corsica, the Balearics, America, Burgundy, the Holy Roman Empire, Bohemia, Hungary and Habsburg, Austria. What would be left for his brother, the Infante Ferdinand? Ferdinand. And I'm going to call him the Infante Ferdinand, however cumbersome that is, just to differentiate him from the other one. Okay. It was said that Ferdinand thought about giving the Infante Ferdinand Aragon, but that's unlikely because Ferdinand's too clever for that. He'd have seen that Charles would have just swept over from Castile and taken over Aragon. And also, Ferdinand had worked hard to unite the two parts. He wasn't going to split them up between the two brothers. Okay. Splitting the Austrian territories was also an option, since the Infante Ferdinand had a right to half of them. Ooh. Well, if you remember from Maximilian's episode, Austria is the traditional Habsburg land. Yes, and I get that. But how does Ferdinand think that he can make that decision? That's not his land. This is the plan. Okay. (laughs) And the plan is so convoluted. Okay. The the drawback of splitting the Austrian territories is you've got the Ottoman Turks on the doorstep 
it would yes. be foolish to break up the buffer zone. Yes. So how to compensate the Infante Ferdinand for the loss of Austria, since he had rights to land there, if they were going, if, if they were all going to go to Charles? Well, there was a way that would satisfy the Infante Ferdinand and make a useful barrier across the top of Italy to keep the French out. The Italian kingdom consisted of Genoa, Pavia, Milan and the Venetian territories, with the addition of the Tyrol, and with Naples in the south, maybe Spain could later start to join these two bits together, the north and the south, just to fill really? in the gaps. Really? So he's planning on taking Milan again? Poor Milan! He's planning on taking Italy. <laughs> wow. So by keeping the French out of Italy, Spain could take over Italy. That'd be better, wouldn't it? That'd be much mm. better. Ferdinand could rely on Maximilian to agree to it, since the Infante Ferdinand was his grandson too. Could he? Could he rely on Maximilian? <laughs> I don't know if the words rely and Maximilian go together necessarily. No. And obviously the French would be very much against this plan. Yes. Ferdinand, therefore, would have to force an unwilling France to consent to his plan. So pressure would have to be brought on France so that it would be only too happy to ensure its security by conceding to what Ferdinand asked for. Okay. All depended on his ability to form a league against France and so make the other rulers the innocent stooges for carrying out his plan. Have we not seen that leagues do not work? They don't last long. You can't keep thinking, hang on, is this... Is this a different league or the same one as before? <laughs> <laughs> on the 18th of May, 1509, Ferdinand's secretary wrote to the Spanish ambassador in England that as soon as the marriage between Catherine and Henry VIII had been consummated, Ferdinand would communicate all his secrets to Henry and would expect in return that his son should conceal nothing from him. Absolute confidence between the two kings, he said, was of vital importance so that Ferdinand, as a true father might give advice to the young king on all matters of state. And he also sent some presents, and Henry liked presents. But at, at this time, the Spanish ambassador to England was... De Puebla. Catherine of Aragon. Oh, Catherine. Wait yes. a second. Oh, I thought we were talking about Henry VIII. We are. She had quarrelled with this. This is, this, is, this is official. This is not her fiddling about with uh, behind-the-scenes... Oh, in um, my head, Catherine was... The diplomat during Henry VII's time at one point. Did well, she do it she, more than once? She'd quarrelled with the ambassador that Ferdinand had sent. I think she quarrelled with quite a few of them. It was de, de Mendoza, wasn't it? I, uh, by this time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And she'd taken on the role herself. Hmm. And I can't help wondering if Ferdinand actually had a role in that. Because what better ambassador could you have to convince a young king to do as he was told than the one who shares his bed? Yes. Because <laughs> de Puebla never shared his bed. <laughs> you hope not. <laughs> and even de Ayala never shared his bed. <laughs> oh Although I wouldn't put it past him. Henry promised to obey Ferdinand as if he were his own father. So Ferdinand oh, is beginning to reel Henry in. <sighs> we're in the time of the League of Cambrai. And if you remember from Mac Maximilian's episode, Ferdinand and the Pope were attacking Venice from the south... Maximilian and France were attacking from the north. Yes. And Venice handed over the southern territories so that they could concentrate on their northern enemies. And then they called in the Ottoman Turks. Yes. Again. 
which now we've heard all about in Mehmed's episode, it seems even more foolhardy than we thought before, bringing in the Turks. And that's on Patreon, by the way. Yes. Tudoriferous Patreon for those who like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. (laughs) But once Ferdinand had got what he wanted, the last thing he needed was France taking Venetian territory. Okay. Ferdinand had already got that area earmarked for the Infante Ferdinand's Italian territory. Yes. He would have liked to have moved against France there and then, but he was precluded from doing so by the terms of the League of Cambrai, because he can't turn on a fellow League member. Why not? (laughs) They do it all the time. It's not on. It's not on. (laughs) And he doesn't have to, because what he needed was someone whose father had refused to join the League. Oh, Henry Mm. VII didn't Mm -hmm. join the League. No. Ferdinand wrote to Catherine in cipher... And the letter no longer exists, but we can guess what it said from Henry's reply. It seems that Ferdinand had been telling Henry that it would be wrong to destroy Venice completely, even though the League of Cambrai had been set up to do that very thing, because Venice was a buffer against the Ottomans. Okay. And it really was, because there's poor Venetians. We're right in the middle. Yeah. So Ferdinand had taken his bit of Venice and then told Henry that they needed to keep the rest of Venice intact. You know, we we mustn't touch Venice. You know, I I got my bit. But Mm -hmm. he'd written the letter in secret because he wanted it to look as if this this idea had come from Henry and not Ferdinand. Oh. Oh. At this time, France was brokering a deal between Ferdinand and Maximilian about Castile, so he didn't want to antagonise them yet. I'm not sure what that's all about, and I thought, I'm not going into that because this is too long, is it? It's 23 pages, this. (laughs) We're going to be here forever. (laughs) By November 1409, Henry was a zealous advocate of the Venetian Republic, speaking in its favour to Maximilian the Pope and Louis XII. Oh, really? So he's, you know... He's He's doing exactly what Ferdinand told him to do. Yeah, he's picked up the baton and he's running with it. Oh, no. France was not happy about this, even making half-hearted noises about declaring war on England. They don't need any excuses. (laughs) Ferdinand, because he still needed France to look favourably on him, in the case of Castile, even admonished Henry and said that it was just his youthfulness that made him so zealous in favour of Venice. So he sets him up to do it and then says, Yes, he's just just, a silly young boy. Wow. But once Ferdinand had got the result about Castile that he wanted, thanks to Louis XII, this is in December 1509, he showed his gratitude by organising a general attack on France. Oh, my God. But this is still in secret since the Pope and Maximilian had to be convinced to join a league against Louis because Louis had been part of the league against Venice. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, from what I can gather, he's organised a general attack, general implying... Let's all gang together and do it. But he doesn't seem to have told most of the members of this general attack. (laughs) Ferdinand told Henry to keep the plan secret. But Henry, or more probably his advisers, who weren't quite as enamoured of Ferdinand as Henry was, went one step further and entered into a treaty with France in March 1510. And Ferdinand ought to have been pleased since this was the best smokescreen for the planned attack. You know, an oh-so-binding treaty. 
But Henry had done this without first consulting his father-in-law, and so Ferdinand was beginning to worry about other things Henry might do without telling him. Yeah. So Henry's counsellors said that since Henry had no heir, he couldn't risk war with France. He needed to build up his dynasty before he could risk going into battle. But now, without the threat of war with England hanging over him, Louis was able to throw everything he got at the war in Italy. Okay. He was not, he was not only going for Venice, but also for the Papal States. And Louis was going to lock up Pope Julius for life, which is quite drastic. <laughs> That's his plan. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone liked Julius, but still, it seems nope. a little, little much. Now, obviously, Ferdinand didn't want France to take over Italy. I mean, that would be wrong, taking over someone else's country, wouldn't it? Disgraceful. Oh, yes. How dare you? Hmm. And also, it's Spain's job. <laughs> <laughs> so Ferdinand needed an unwitting instrument to do his bidding again. Okay. His plan was to break up the treaty that Henry had made with Louis and to replace it with two others. The first was to draw Henry even closer to Ferdinand so that Ferdinand could use England's resources to fight Louis. The second treaty was to be one of an openly hostile nature. It was an alliance between the Pope, Maximilian, Henry and the Italian states, the object of which was to drive the French out of Italy by force. The Pope, Maximilian, Henry and the Italian states. There's someone missing from that list. <laughs> Ferdinand didn't want to join. What? It's his idea. He wanted the French out of Italy, but he could use his neutral state to negotiate them out of Italy because you need someone who isn't overtly ah. hostile to broker treaties. Yeah, even though it was Ferdinand who set the whole thing up. Hostile. I love how you put in overtly. <laughs> and with everyone ganged up on Louis, Ferdinand could have made a favourable deal with him. Only, shh, don't tell Henry. Jeez. There's a lot of, don't tell Henry, or don't tell Maximilian. The Spanish ambassador, because there was one now apart from Catherine, sidled up to Henry and suggested the first treaty to draw him and the Ferdinand closer together. And Henry impulsively said, yes, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just as well he had his ministers who could slow things down and look at things from all angles. See, he was not properly trained to be the next king. No. He didn't get the same education or experience that Arthur did. And when he was no. going to be king, he got sheltered in basically a closet. Yes, well, he was being hidden from Catherine a lot of the time. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. And now you've just thrown somebody in who all he wants to do is spend money and play. Mm. Yeah, and doesn't think things through. Not at all. But the ministers do, thankfully. Yes. But ministers could be bought. Oh, no. The Spanish ambassador said to the, the bishops of Winchester, that's Bishop Fox, and of Durham, and I think that was Thomas Ruttle, what a pity it was that there were so few English cardinals in Rome. And Fox said the Englishmen didn't chase favours the way that these greasy foreign clerics did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, um, so the ambassador said, I'm fine, and left it at that. Uh -huh. Later, though, there's a little... And the bishops arrived individually on the ambassador's doorstep and begged him to put in a good word with Henry about that little issue they were discussing. You know, that hat thing. There are no extant letters on the subject, but it is a fact that the treaty between Henry and Ferdinand moved along much quicker after that, although actually neither, neither bishop got their red hat. 
Oh, my goodness. But obviously this pact made the one between England null and void. The treaty was signed on the 25th of May, and it was a defensive pact. Spain and England would side with one another in the event of attack by a list of potential enemies, including France. Ferdinand didn't want to make it an offensive pact. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Since he still didn't want France to know of his territorial plans for the Infante Ferdinand in Italy. I told you this was complicated. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really have to hang, hang on in there. The Spanish ambassador was instructed to speak with Henry about the intentions of Louis as soon as the alliance between England and Spain was concluded. I feel like I need some sort of videographic or pie yes. chart or Venn diagram. That's why I had to do it as bullet points because I kept getting completely lost. The Spanish ambassador was to enlarge on the dangers to which the church and all the Christian princes were exposed, what with Louis threatening to lock the Pope up for life, and to suggest the idea to Henry that a general league against France ought to be formed. That was to be done in such a way that Henry would think that he had thought of the plan himself. Oh, my goodness. And I think a lot of things were done like that in Henry's reign, which shows that Ferdinand was a good judge of character. Yes, and Henry was useless. An idiot. Yes, he really was. <laughs> if Henry didn't take the bait, the ambassador was to make use of the influence that Catherine had over her husband. But if she should refuse to advise Henry to go to war with France... The ambassador was to tell her confessor to explain to her that she was bound as a good Christian to do it. Oh, my goodness. And if the confessor should had refused to do this, he was to be told that it was the wish of the Pope. And as far as I know, the Pope knew nothing of this at this point. <laughs> wow. Ferdinand had no great love for Julius. He's really taking liberties left, right and centre. Oh, yes. Julius was a pretty awful person. I don't think that Ferdinand particularly cared if he was locked up for life. But Ferdinand had a job for the Pope. The Pope was not only required to intercede for Ferdinand in England, that little invade France thing, but also to reconcile Maximilian with Venice and to persuade the Italian princes to enter the League against France. In other words, he was to do everything that Ferdinand wanted doing, but couldn't do himself because he's not officially a member of the League. And how did he think he was going to make Julius do this? Well, he obviously did think it because he said quite categorically that he was using him as his instrument. That's what he said. Not to the Pope, he didn't say it, but he told other people that he was using the Pope as his instrument. And did the P Pope do any of this? Yes. He did it all. What? Why? I suppose Why? that Ferdinand's protecting him from being locked up for life from Louis the oh. Twelfth. If, if Louis gets in, who's to protect the Pope? Oh, my gosh. So he sent a message to the papal nuncio in England telling him to put pressure on Henry to invade France. And it would be Doddle, he was to tell Henry, and you could get back all those lands in France that really belong to England. I mean, we all know they do. Oh, yes, they have for centuries. So that was England sorted, but Julius had instructions to get yet another league together that would stand up against the French. The yep. stumbling block could be raised here was Maximilian, bless him. To make this league viable, the Venetians would have had to be part of it, but Maximilian was fighting the Venetians mm -hmm. and was very reluctant to stop. If you remember, Maximilian had to get through Venice to get the magic crown that the Pope didn't want to give him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> part of Ferdinand's plan worked and part of it didn't. His alliance with Henry and Henry's subsequent announcement that he intended to invade France 
meant that Louis had to abandon throwing all his weight into Italy to make right. sure his northern border was protected. Right. But on the other hand, the fact that Maximilian was still on Louis's side and the Pope was becoming more aggressive to him meant that Louis wanted to invade Italy as planned. Hmm. And you shouldn't have a war on two fronts. No. Louis attacked Bologna and annihilated the papal and Venetian armies. So as you can see, there's still a name missing from all these complicated manoeuvres because Ferdinand was still keeping an ostensibly neutral stand despite the fact that he was the one pulling everybody's strings. But since they couldn't entice Maximilian over to the League, it was going to be very weak without at least one of their big hitters. Maximilian or Ferdinand. Okay. So, so Ferdinand had to break cover. And Henry, you'll notice, is not one of the big hitters. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> so on the 4th of October 1511, the Pope, Venice and Spain drew up a treaty for the protection of the church. At least that's what Ferdinand said it was for. <sighs> okay. Henry joined soon after and was only late due to an admin glitch. I'm watching, in my mind, the little pawn piece shrinking mm. <laughs> as we go. <laughs> Ferdinand and Henry now changed the wording of the treaty, bringing them together against the common foes. This was the defensive one. Right. Well, they've scratched out the D defensive. of defensive and put in an uh. of. <laughs> But again, it was said to be to defend the church, because you can't go locking the Pope up in dungeons. It's just not done. Right. But as far as Henry was concerned, the real reason for it was the conquest of Aquitaine, which, as we all know, is English, really. Yes. It just happens to be in France. And Ferdinand promised to help, because, you know, it's the least a father-in-law can do. But what was in it for <laughs> Ferdinand? It didn't help him if England had Aquitaine. And if Henry thought that Ferdinand was doing this out of fatherly love, and apparently he did think that, he was being very naive. Extremely. Ferdinand now had two prongs, both doing his bidding while thinking they were doing their own. He had Henry all ready to attack France and to deflect Louis' troops from Italy, and he had the Pope, Venice and his own troops fighting those French troops who did head for Italy. Everyone thought they were fighting for their own agenda, but in fact, in the long run, they were fighting for Ferdinand's dream of creating an Italian kingdom for the Infante Ferdinand. Wow. Yes. Were the two alliances which Henry had concluded with Ferdinand in November 1511 dictated by sound statesmanship? No. No. Well, <laughs> entering into the General League made sense because it was to everyone's advantage, except Louis, that the French king shouldn't conquer Italy. And also, it really wasn't on that the Pope should be locked in a dungeon. Henry, therefore, did nothing more than could be expected from a good Catholic prince. But the special alliance between England and Spain for the conquest of Aquitaine was neither necessary nor advantageous for him. It was just stroking his vanity. Yeah. And Ferdinand knew his dispensable little pawn only too well. He knew all about his vanity. Okay. <laughs> I hope you're keeping up. So far, yes. I'm just in my head, keep going, what the heck are you doing? Henry is, you're supposed to be king of England, and you're just acting like a spoiled child. Well, maybe it ought to be my Christmas uh, project to make a little 
map of map with all, all the little figures and just keep moving them about showing all the different leagues. <laughs> oh, I would love that. And then record it. We could put it on YouTube and everybody would be like, oh. <laughs> no, I'm still confused. Just keep changing the colors of <laughs> <Yes>. them. <laughs> I, found, I, I, I now get it all, but it's taken a long time. The error which Henry and his councillors made was that they were kidding themselves that they would easily be able to conquer French territory with the help of their allies in the League. But why would they help okay. Henry? None of them claimed any part of France. Well, that's not true. Maximilian claimed Burgundy, but it's not going to help Henry get Aquitaine back. No. So the consequence of this was obvious. By painting Louis into a corner... This meant that he'd obviously prefer to come to terms with all those other members of the League and would then turn his whole forces against England. Ah, OK, I see. I see that part. That makes sense to me. Yeah, he'd rather leave the Italian lands for the time being and concentrate on protecting his immediate territory. Yes, which he did. Every one of the Allies would profit by this, including Ferdinand, except Henry. And when I say he wouldn't have profited, I mean he'd been completely annihilated. Okay. You got the whole of the French army saying, right, we're coming after you. Not good. Okay. No. Henry didn't see this, but you, you can be sure that Ferdinand did, because he was a chess master who's several steps ahead. Yeah. Aquitaine, for those whose knowledge of French geography is a tad hazy, is, on the bot is at the bottom left, then it has a border with Spain. So, in June 1512, the English army, under the command of the Marquis of Dorset, sailed for Spain. They're going for Aquitaine. Scarcely had they disembarked when disputes arose between Ferdinand and the Marquis of Dorset. And this is the son of the one we've got in our box, by the way, the uh, Thomas, Thomas Gray. OK. Was also called Thomas Gray, confusingly. <laughs> and they were arguing about the best way to carry out this attack. Because Dorset's plan, if you can call it that, was to march into Aquitaine and start laying siege to fortresses. And Ferdinand said, no, you'll just get snarled up. He pointed out that while the English were stuck besieging fortresses, the French army would just come down and attack them. Mm -hmm. Ferdinand came up with a much better idea, involving cutting off areas so that no troops or supplies could get there. And it was a good idea. Yes. But Dorset was sulking because his idea hadn't been adopted, so oh, he refused no. to adopt Ferdinand's. So, ego. Ego's getting in the way. Yes. And when eventually Ferdinand sent troops into France, who created a passage, so all that Dorset had to do was to walk in and take Aquitaine. And this passage, incidentally, involved the taking of Navarre, which uh, Ferdinand had been after for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's at the top left of Spain. <laughs> Dorset agreed to Ferdinand's plan, but said that they'd only stay in France for 25 days, no longer. And Ferdinand pointed out that it would take longer than that to get to take the land. But Dorset was adamant, so Ferdinand said, well, forget it then, it's not worth it. So Dorset went, and his army went home. That was the end of ex the expedition. But uh, Ferdinand had got Navarre, <laughs> which is what he wanted all along. Hmm. Until they got, got to the bit about Navarre, I was confused about why Ferdinand was showing his hand in such an obvious way. And I realise I've just gone from chess to cards, but there we go. <laughs> Ferdinand wrote to Henry complaining about the English troops and about Dorset in particular, pointing out that it was a tiny bit suspicious that Dorset had, while he was there, contracted to marry a princess of Navarre, Navarre being on Louis' side, and did that compromise Dorset's integrity? 
When the army got back to England, Henry called the leaders, apart from Dorset, who wasn't there, into his presence and made them kneel and explain themselves. Oh. They said they'd had no provisions, the soldiers had mutinied, and it was all Dorset's fault. <laughs> but their main complaint, though, was that they had to kneel in the king's presence while the Spanish ambassadors were allowed to stand. These, these little <sighs> things seem to mean a lot to these people, don't they? Yep. Much as Henry VII had deferred to Ferdinand's judgment, Henry VIII asked him what punishment these leaders should be given. And Ferdinand was magnanimous and said there should be no punishment. Because, well, it made no difference to him. <laughs> he had Navarre. He'd made the French abandon their invasion of, of Italy and he'd shown everyone how he could manipulate England to do his bidding. So he was quite happy. Wow. Wow. Mm. Just like a chess master, he's got... He's not just several steps ahead. He's working all over the board, isn't he? That's, he thinks, OK, I've got the Pope there. I've got... I've got Maximilian over there, so at some point I can activate him and he can... And then I've got... Oh, I've got Henry here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. England, on the other hand, had just spent vast amounts of money on an enterprise that was a pointless waste of time. It had been humiliating and it had brought to light failings <laughs> in the English military. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to work out if Ferdinand had actually choreographed this, this abject failure... I couldn't work out how he could have done it. No. Unless he bribed Thomas Gray, I don't know. But it was definitely in Ferdinand's favour that Henry should feel humiliated. And Ferdinand, being the supreme reader of Henry's personality, would have known that humiliation would drive Henry on to do more. He'd want to cover up the humiliation with some triumph. Yes. Henry was even more resolved than before to conquer Aquitaine. And so to gain back the money he had lost and the prestige he'd compromised. Oh, come on! He's like a gambler, really? isn't he? The next go will be the lucky one. Yes! Yes! Like, just stop! <laughs> <laughs> Ferdinand had just achieved step one of his plan. Ugh. The French had had to abandon their invasion of Italy since they'd had to go and deflect troops to deal with Henry. And as a sideline, Ferdinand had conquered Navarre. And that wasn't even part of the plan, I don't think. <laughs> he probably thought, <laughs> yeah, he thought, hang on a minute. Wait a Oh, hang on. <laughs> this just gets better oh. and better. So, step two. How to get the consent of France to the formation of the Italian kingdom for the Infante Ferdinand. And you would think this would be impossible. Yes. Henry was to continue to serve Ferdinand as his instrument, his little expendable pawn. At the same time, Ferdinand was telling Henry to continue the war against France, and he was telling the Pope, the Italian states, and Maximilian, who is now in it. Now, I assume that's the moment where the French pulled out, and do you remember Maximilian started running after them, shouting, but you told me you were going to, going to help me get my crown. <laughs> yes. So he obviously <laughs> thought, right, I'll show him. <laughs> I'll join the league. Ferdinand was telling them oh to keep pressure on the French troops that were in Italy. So it was at this time that the Pope and Maximilian made a massive blunder. Which is not what you expect from Maximilian, oh. is it? <laughs> I expect that he never actually figures things out. They made two treaties. The first of these treaties was a general league. <laughs> Another one. Okay. This one, it's... Okay, this one, you've got the Pope, Maximilian, Henry VIII, Ferdinand, and the Duke of Milan. 
And this is Massimiliano Sforza, and that's Ludovico's son. Okay. The second treaty of alliance was concluded between Julius and Maximilian alone and was especially directed against the Venetians, because Maximilian still got in for the Venetians, and the Duke of Ferrara, so that's a thing of their own. Okay. Who were to be excommunicated and conquered, because it's so handy having the Pope on your your side, since he can play the excommunication (laughs) card. As part of this treaty creating the General League, it was stipulated that France was not only to be invaded, but to be entirely destroyed. Oh, and its provinces would be, were to be apportioned among the Confederates as their share of the loot. Ah. Maximilian was to have Burgundy and Picardy. Henry was to have all the provinces that had formerly belonged to the Crown of England. Not satisfied with their plan of conquering Ferrara, Venice and France, Pope Julius and Maximilian resolved also to undertake the conquest of the whole Turkish Empire. <laughs> <laughs> Maximilian was to be the Imperator of all Christian armies. And his share in the conquest was going to be Constantinople and the whole of Greece. Even his title was settled in this treaty. He was henceforth to be called Emperor of the Occident and the Orient. Which does make you wonder, what the hell had he and the Pope been smoking when they worked this one out? Yeah. We're going to take over the whole world. Madness. (laughs) When the news of these treaties, together with copies of them, reached Spain in January 1513, Ferdinand asked them to be translated into Spanish so he could see with his own eyes what those two buffoons had been up to. He was (laughs) astonished and absolutely (laughs) furious. He directed all his efforts to isolate France and so weaken it. But these treaties, by excluding Venice, forced Venice to seek an alliance with Louis and to place all her rich resources at his disposal. These, they had just ruined everything. For Ferdinand, at least. Yep. Ferdinand, who was usually very diplomatic, told Maximilian that he was a useless politician. <laughs> Which he was. He really yes. wasn't a politician at all, was he? No. He couldn't trust himself to say what he thought of Julius. <laughs> But he increased his plans for the reform of the papacy because he felt that the Pope's role should be purely temporal and they should stop interfering in things they didn't understand. Yeah. Stick uh, to God, forget the politics. Yes. yes. <laughs> Ferdinand immediately got in touch with Venice and told them this was nothing to do with either him or Henry and that they wouldn't ratify Oh, it. right. But it was too late. Venice had made a treaty with France already. Mm. Ferdinand was going to have to up the ante now. He sent an ambassador to tell Henry that the invasion of France was back on and that he, Ferdinand, was going to invade Aquitaine. There were, however, two conditions. First, for God's sake, don't send me any English troops. They're just more trouble than they're worth. (laughs) Ferdinand said he'd conquer Aquitaine with a Spanish army reinforced by German mercenaries, presumably 2,000 of them, because there always are, and that he would then hand Aquitaine over to Henry. There you go, son. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) I don't believe him. Well, I do, because he he has his reasons. Ferdinand had had enough of the English military, and who could blame him? And England's part in this was that Henry should pay half of the expenses for the Aquitaine conquest. The second condition was that Henry should invade France from Calais and begin war in Normandy at once. Okay. On top of this, Ferdinand said how much he loved Henry. Oh, of course. And this was just a little prezi for his favourite daughter and son-in-law. 
There you go, have Aquitaine. He stressed how much money was coming out of his own pocket and the danger he was putting himself into. He made sure that Henry should realise that Ferdinand was doing this entirely altruistically and with no thought of any benefits it might bring for himself. What benefits could there be for Ferdinand? Because he was going to give Aquitaine to Henry. Mm. You know, it's not as if I'm trying to deflect the French so that I can invade it. Oh, oh, no, hang on, I've said too much, I've said too much. I didn't say that. <laughs> well, Henry obviously jumped at this. Of course he did. It did worry him a bit that the Pope hadn't issued a papal bull depriving Louis of Aquitaine and Normandy, since that would have given this enterprise a tad more legitimacy. It's a bit cloak and dagger at the moment, which is a bit suspicious. But as, as Ferdinand pointed out, all the time they were not attacking France meant that Louis was able to move into Italy, you know, and start get, that, get his hands on that Pope. That Pope's going to be in a dungeon before you know it, Henry. Get a move on. Yes. And not only would he be stopping this moral thing, stopping the Pope being locked in a dungeon, but what with the threat to the Pope's liberty, Henry should be able to demand from Julius whatever he wanted. So ah. maybe Bishop Fox would get his little red hat. Henry was so excited about this chance to demonstrate his chivalric prowess and to emulate his hero, Henry IV, hmm. that it wouldn't have occurred to him in a million years that his father-in-law intended to double-cross him. You are stupid. <laughs> right, so you can't even blame falling on his head from the jousting no. accident. Ferdinand made sure that he'd be the gainer, whatever happened. Of course he did. And as for Aquitaine, there's no reason to suspect that Ferdinand intended to keep it for himself. In his opinion, the possession of Aquitaine would lead to everlasting war with France. But that was fine, because... It's not his war. He wasn't going to have Aquitaine. He was handing over that hot potato to Henry. <laughs> Here you are, quick, have Aquitaine. Quick, quick, quick. Goodness. Henry and his advisers, as I said, were eager to get started on this venture. But, they wrote to Ferdinand, suggesting that the English part of the money should be considerably less than what Ferdinand had suggested. If Henry thought that Ferdinand was doing this out of goodness of his heart, and there was no reason to think he didn't think that, it did seem a bit hard on his, his father-in-law to start haggling over the costs. Hmm. Also, the English weren't quite ready yet, so could Ferdinand make the invasion a bit later than planned? And the English drew up a new treaty and sent it over to Spain for ratification. Thus, they had handed to Ferdinand a dynamite document. He could show this document to Louis and say, look, my son-in-law wants to invade France, and I'm the only one who can stop him. What a jerk. Louis then sent Ferdinand overtures of peace, which included a suggestion that his daughter, Renée, should marry the Infante Ferdinand, and that Milan, Pavia and Genoa would be part of the dowry. So it's extraordinary how these territories that Ferdinand wants so often just drop in his lap. <sighs> so that was step two of Ferdinand's plan. Jeez. His plan concerning the Italian kingdom was well on its way to being accomplished. And he hadn't even needed wow. the Pope, Maximilian, or Venice's help. He just sort of had them hovering. <laughs> and the aid that Henry had given him had just put England against the combined force of both France and Spain. So you've got to feel sorry for Henry. He oh. was young, but, you know, his advisers weren't young. Yes. Someone should have said to him, let's think this through logically. But I'm not sure you yes. can. where are his ministers? I'm not sure you can think this through logically because you have to be so... Convoluted. Yes, true. It's, it's, you have to know that Ferdinand will just turn on a sixpence. 
suddenly suddenly yes. he's saying, no, I'm friends with France. No, sorry, we're out. And then saying, it's all right, I'm not friends with France. And then saying to Louis, I am friends with France. <laughs> oh, jeez. Ferdinand carried on his negotiations with England over the invasion. So he's pulling two, two lots of strings. He found several reasons to delay, though. Their troops would not be enough to confront France and their German mercenaries. The English and the Spanish would need German mercenaries of their own. And, he said, Henry should send a paymaster of his own to pay the German troops so that everyone should see that the war was not Spanish but an English undertaking. So, it's English. Not in any way Spanish. It's all English. <sighs> There was also a problem with the money. England agreed to pay the sum of money up front and a further one later when the invasion was taking place. And they added magnanimously, Ferdinand could hold on to Aquitaine as collateral until such time as England paid up. To which Ferdinand said, no, 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 no. You take it, you take it. Because the last thing he wanted was for France to see he was behind any invasions. This was all Henry. Wow. The time which Ferdinand gained from all this toing and froing was used to push on the negotiations with France as quickly as possible. Louis wanted Ferdinand to sign a separate treaty just between the two of them, but that would have made Ferdinand's treaty with the Pope, Maximilian and Henry null and void. So Louis, I'm not quite sure why he agreed to this, agreed to make general peace with all of them. Mm. But all Ferdinand had to do now was to get to the agreement of Maximilian and Henry. The initial truce was to last for a year between King Louis, James of Scotland and the Duke of Gelders for some reason on the one side and Ferdinand Juana. See, she actually gets to sign something. <laughs> Did she actually sign it? Probably though? not. Was she even there? No. So there's Maximilian, Juana, Ferdinand, Henry and Charles V on the other side. And it was to be observed in all countries... And on all seas, this side of the Italian mountains. The whole of Italy and the Italian waters were to be excluded from it, which, as far as Ferdinand was concerned, was quite handy. Of course it is. This is frustrating. Yeah. That nobody figures this out. <laughs> when Henry asked Ferdinand why Italy was excluded, Ferdinand did come up with some rather lame reasons, one of which was to make Italy more dependent on Ferdinand and his bestest buddy Henry but effectively he was telling Henry not to worry his pretty little head about it mm. but Ferdinand concealed his real reason for excluding Italy as soon as the peace between England, Spain, France and Maximilian was to be concluded the Italian kingdom was to be formed and the reformation of the church was to be taken in hand so this is step two with a vengeance yes because the reformation of the church might possibly involve parceling out all the papal states. Oh. Either to increase the kingdom of Naples or the kingdom of the Infante Ferdinand. No, I feel dumb because I didn't clue into that. <laughs> or they might be used as compensation for those princes who've been chucked out of their own kingdoms to accommodate the Infante Ferdinand. Had Italy been included in the truce, Ferdinand wouldn't have been able to do any of this until the truce had expired. But this did all depend on Henry and Maximilian accepting this truce, so a lot was riding on it for Ferdinand. Okay. The easiest way would be to tell them about his plan. He could expect Maximilian to agree, since the Infante Ferdinand was as much his grandson as he was Ferdinand's. 
However, we know what Maximilian was like with secrets, and it was important that Henry shouldn't hear about it. Because at the moment, Henry is still being told, yeah, it's all on, it's all still on, you can still come and invade France. Ferdinand's motto was, quote, like an anvil, I keep quiet because of the times, unquote. Actually, he makes most of these times. Yes. I just want to grab Henry and shake him. What are you thinking? Well, and the Pope and Maximilian. I think Ferdinand is very lucky about the people he's got around him. Yes, but... Because I think there's only Louis that's anywhere near him in intelligence. But you listen to David Starkey, for instance, who's really big on Henry VIII. Apparently, he's brilliant. He's really intelligent. Right now, he looks like a monkey. Yeah, I suppose... When we do Henry VIII, we might see all this from his point of view, and it might all seem... Might be, we might find we'd have done the same thing. You never know. You don't know. <laughs> well, we'll see. But to tell Henry his plan would be to admit that Ferdinand had been using him up to now to threaten Louis with invasion. Well, yeah, that's exactly what's been happening. <laughs> <laughs> Ferdinand's best policy now was an everlasting peace with France, but he also promised Henry to help him get Aquitaine and Normandy. He could hardly now say to Henry, you know this plan to take those two places you really wanted? Well, we're scrapping that in favour of taking over a large swathe of Italy for my grandson, which will be no benefit to you whatsoever. <laughs> On the other hand, it was useful for Ferdinand to have Henry lurking in the wings in case he, Ferdinand, should ever have to put more pressure on Louis. He wanted to be able to say to Louis, follow the exact tenets of my plan, or I'm not sure I'll be able to rein in my Rottweiler of a son-in-law. Hmm. Ferdinand decided that the best ploy would be to settle everything with France to his own advantage, then call a meeting between Spain, England, France and Maximilian, where they would be instructed to make a general peace and reform the church. Which is pretty much what he's been doing up to now. Ferdinand mm. could explain his plan to Maximilian then, and faced with the combined might of Ferdinand, Maximilian and Louis, Henry would have to fall into line. <laughs> so we've got yet more manoeuvres. See, it's everybody against Henry now. And the Pope. The Pope would have to accept the reforms. And then the stripping of the Pope of all but his temporal powers could begin. But in February 1513, Pope Julius died which was a bit selfish since Ferdinand then had to rethink all his plans. Because <laughs> the next Pope, Louis X, was very different from the blustering, warmongering Julius, and a different approach was needed. But like Alexander VI, Leo was most keen on the advancement of his relations, because he's a Medici. Mm -hmm. So Ferdinand could use this to get Henry on board, whether he liked it or not. <laughs> Henry refused to be reconciled with France, then Louis would call for arbitration from the Pope, who, on receipt of a few choice positions for his relatives, would find in Louis's favour, and then Henry would have to lump it. This is... Uh, for the benefit of the listeners, I'm spending most of this time just closing my eyes and shaking my head. <laughs> Also, there was a talk of an extra sweetener for Henry that the French pension would be revived. And I assume that's the money from the Treaty of Etarpla that Charles made yes. with, his, with his dad. Henry, mm. yes. Ferdinand then put his plan into action by concluding the preliminary treaty with Louis, 
and setting in motion the general conference of the ambassadors. Part of this treaty was a defensive pact that if anyone should attack France or Spain, they would protect each other. And Louis wanted to name Henry specifically, but Ferdinand refused, saying that that would antagonise Henry and make him their enemy. But he was quite happy, he said, to conclude the treaty as long as no one was named specifically. Although, obviously, Henry came under the category of anyone. The treaty was couched in the most cautious language possible. Ferdinand and Louis were to be allies purely so that there'd be peace in Christendom, and then they could get on with fighting those pesky Ottomans. They bound themselves to defend the Holy Church and remain friends of Maximilian and Henry during the remainder of their lives. So, all friends forever. Right. (laughs) The Infante Ferdinand, whom his grandfather described as a handsome and intelligent and a good boy, was to marry Louis's daughter, Renée, and the King of France was to give them the Duchy of Milan and Pavia and Genoa, which had been what Ferdinand's plan had been from the get-go. So this is now yes. official. He actually gets it. Well, we're not we're at not the end, end of this episode, we're not the end. so let's see if he actually gets it. <laughs> no, there's quite a, little, quite a lot of more manoeuvring to go. The trouble with this episode is I couldn't leave any anything out because... Or it didn't make sense. You can't just jump over yep. it because you think, like when I was reading it, you only, if you switch off for a second, you think, oh, yes. I'm lost. Right, back to the beginning. Yes. While this is going on, Henry is presumably still expecting that as soon as this temporary truce is over, that he's going to be heading to Normandy, while Ferdinand heads to Aquitaine to regain all the land that Henry believed was rightfully his. The poor deluded boy. <laughs> <laughs> But now Ferdinand had a little task of explaining to Henry what he'd been up to. Oops. Ferdinand said that it... Well, I didn't say he was going to tell the truth. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Ferdinand said that he'd been forced into the position of making a truce with Louis because everyone had let him down. What a liar. Including Henry. No, especially Henry. What? With all his prevarications about money and when the invasion was going to take place, what else was Ferdinand to do? It was Henry's fault. He brought it upon himself. Oh, my goodness. You've let me down. You've let yourself down. You've let Catherine down. Let's just dig that little (laughs) knife in. Even the Pope doesn't like you. In fact, none of us like you. (laughs) Also, Ferdinand added... If Henry refused to fall into line, he'd be dividing Christendom and making it much harder for them to fight the infidels. And did he really want that on his conscience? (gasps) What a hypocrite. But Ferdinand was walking a fine line because he didn't want Henry to be such an advocate of peace that Ferdinand could no longer use him to threaten Louis. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Do as you told Louis. I'm not sure I can restrain Henry. He told Henry that although it was too late to attack France this year, it might be possible next year. Because once the 12-month truce was up, Henry obviously was not told of the bigger picture of Ferdinand's family marrying into Louis. But where are Henry's spies? Did he not learn anything from his dad? I don't know. I don't. We're going to go with no, he didn't. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the difference in the way that they... I was going to say ruled. <laughs> Henry the Seventh <VII> ruled. <laughs> I'm not sure what Henry the Eighth is doing VIII at the just moment. Let everybody else. <laughs> He's a clown. <laughs> but Ferdinand was in for a shock 
he had told Henry that one of the people who had turned against him was Maximilian, who had made his own peace with France and so could no longer be seen as an ally. One of the people who had turned against Ferdinand. Ferdinand had advised Henry to try and win over Maximilian. But what Ferdinand hadn't realised was that Henry had done a very good job of winning over Maximilian by promising him that thing that Maximilian loved best. Actually, there was a point in Maximilian's episode, wasn't there, that he suddenly got money from Henry VIII and we thought... Yes. Why is, why is Henry VIII giving him money? Well, this maybe this is yes. it. And Henry knew that it wasn't true that Maximilian had made the truce with France. By promising a subsidy of 125,000 gold crowns... Oh, my goodness. That's a lot, it's a lot of money. money. Henry had induced Maximilian to conclude the Treaty of Malines on the 5th of April, 1513. Huge swathes, here we go again, huge swathes of France were to be invaded by Pope Leo, Maximilian, Ferdinand and Henry, with armies each of which were to be stronger than the whole force of France. And you'll notice that Ferdinand's name is in there, but obviously he wasn't no. asked. But Henry, it turned out, wasn't quite the simpleton that Ferdinand had taken him for. Are we sure? Because so far he seems to be the simpleton. <laughs> well, Ferdinand told Henry not to trust Maximilian. Yeah, I, I keep seeing Ferdinand as the snake in Jungle Book, you know, trust in me. Yes. <laughs> yes. But Maximilian would promise things he couldn't deliver, which is a malicious slur on Maximilian's character. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sounds pretty true to me. And Henry didn't agree. And he had another card up his sleeve. The Spanish ambassador to England had actually signed this treaty. So when we say, well, Ferdinand didn't know anything about it. No, he didn't. But he had signed it by proxy. Oh. And so this bound Ferdinand to declare war on France within 30 days and to start the invasion within two months. So all Ferdinand's secret machinations had been for nothing. And he, he accused Henry of forcing the ambassador to sign and it seems unlikely that physical force was used, but Henry and Wolsey could have used threats to become enemies of Spain. Oh, Wolsey's there now, finally. Yes, now I see him sort of lurking in his long red robe, quite a sort of yes. malevolent figure lurking about. Oh, you know what I picture him as? Um, was it, is it Gary Ullman who does Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yes, that's <laughs> who I see, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, well, possibly, possibly, possibly. Does that not, like, he wears red, that red long cape and his fingers are all gross. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I imagine Woolsey actually having rather, rather fine manicured nails. <laughs> so we don't know what happened to this ambassador, but it does seem odd that an ambassador should, should sign such a document without first consulting the boss. Yeah. It seems very strange. So the worm had turned. Henry was no longer the cowed, <laughs> sycophantic son-in-law that Ferdinand could use as his expendable pawn whenever he wanted. So what a pity that Henry had just made a massive mistake.
I find all this sort of thing fascinating, but it is it is hard going. It is, but it's not hard going. It's the I just want to shake him. I just want well, to shake Henry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've I've got quite an um, admiration for Ferdinand. Yeah, I I do have to admire him for actually doing something. It's completely different from the point of view I had yes. of him doing Isabel. Completely different. Is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How could this alliance with Ferdinand possibly work? He dragged him into this treaty against his will, because the ambassador signed, not Ferdinand. Henry's main desire was, as it always had been, to get his mitts on Aquitaine and Normandy. He'd still need Ferdinand's help to get Aquitaine, but, you know, that ain't happening now. <laughs> Burn that bridge. <laughs> Especially since Ferdinand's original suggestion had been that England and Spain should go halves on the cost. This treaty now said that Ferdinand would have to foot the entire bill for the invasion of Aquitaine, a territory which he was only taking to give to Henry and which was no particular use, use for him. Now, Henry was still a novice, but he really would have thought that Wolsey would have, would have said there is no possible reason for Ferdinand to go with this. And have you not figured out by now that this is... Everything has gone wrong for you. Why do you still pay attention to this? I suppose, does he does he know it's gone wrong? I mean, yes, the, originally it did, but that was all Thomas Gray's fault, wasn't it, Dorset? But as far as he's concerned, I think, it's all still on. Because Ferdinand hasn't been telling him all the business with Louis and <laughs> it's all... I don't know, it'd be interesting to see it from Henry's point of view when we get to him, to see what what he sees, because we're seeing it from Ferdinand's and we can see all yes, all the, the nasty little crevices that Ferdinand's got his fingers in. True. I think this way, this shows the way of working of Henry VIII throughout his life, and which made him so very different from his dad. He makes policies while blustering about and raging raging like a Plantagenet, and then he repents later. Yes. Yeah. So at the moment, the two of them can hardly be further apart. Ferdinand's attempting to trick his son into concluding peace with France, and Henry's trying to force his father-in-law to help him destroy it completely. Ferdinand may have preferred to keep his tiff with Henry secret from Louis, but that wasn't going to happen, so he made a virtue of necessity. Look, I'm so keen on this truce with you, Louis that I've fallen out with my nearest and dearest just to keep it going. Wow. Louis made a big show of gratitude, but inevitably, behind the scenes, he was working out the best way of making capital out of this argument. If Louis could sever ties between Spain and England, then Ferdinand would be deprived of his Rottweiler, and then France wouldn't, be, wouldn't have that hanging over them. If you can have a Rottweiler hanging over you, sorry, that was a terrible... Yes, that's what, <laughs> I've got a dog in my head. <laughs> All right, straining at the lead to get um, to get at him. Okay. That's probably better. <laughs> yeah, suspended over him. The negotiations between France and Spain had been going mostly Ferdinand's way, but now Louis kept making difficulties. He wasn't happy about how his daughter was going to be delivered to the Infante Ferdinand. He wasn't sure about handing over those cities in Italy anymore, and the, the money might prove a problem. Oh. And then Louis decided to make a separate peace with Rome. So it's all slipping out of Ferdinand's hands, and he must have been furious with Henry. Well, he was. <laughs> he was furious with Henry. But it was time to step up the pressure on Louis. 
Ferdinand then pretended that he thought that actually, now he came to think about it, that plan of Henry's was not so bad. Maybe Henry should attack France. Maximilian was busily at war with Venice, and Ferdinand actually told him off for letting Henry down. Get to France at once, Maximilian. Come on, a promise is a promise. <laughs> Maximilian's probably thinking, what, 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 what? <laughs> Ferdinand's new plan was to use all the other princes to batter France into having to come crawling back to Ferdinand with better terms. Ah. This disastrous treaty that Henry had made could be turned to Ferdinand's advantage, as everything seemed to be turned to Ferdinand's advantage. Also, it made it look as if he'd <laughs> reconciled with Henry so that Louis could no longer use the rift between them to score political points. Mm. So, the next spring, Henry started amassing an army complete with the inevitable German mercenaries. In May, Henry's troops and the Germans met in Calais. So he's actually, he's, he's, he's actually going for it. Henry. Henry yes. is in France in full armour. Yes, I'm so happy. Is this when, is this when Catherine takes Terrell on? Or no, they take Terrell on and Catherine beats James? Oh uh, yeah, Catherine wins the Battle of Flodden, doesn't she? Flodden, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Your wife's better than you. You're right about Terrell on. <laughs> Because the siege begins on the 22nd of June. Um, whilst the French besiege important frontier fortress of Hesdin. Edda? I'm not quite sure. Well, we go for Edda? H-E-S-D-I-N. Okay. Only a f few miles distance from Tehran. Maximilian had turned up. Yes. Well, well blimey. Yes. He arrived. He's <laughs> okay, there. Okay, he didn't have as many troops as he said he'd have, but he did turn up. <laughs> <laughs> the Danish king has nowhere to be found. <laughs> The Battle of Spurs was fought on the second on, on the sixteenth of August, and Terroir surrendered on the twenty second of the same month. Imperial and Swiss troops are at the same time victorious in Burgundy, so it's all going swimmingly now. And Henry and Ferdinand are the bestest of friends again. Hmm. Although Ferdinand made sure that Henry appreciated all that he'd given up for him. You know, I was I, <laughs> I had this treaty with Louis. Do you have any idea what I've done? Yes, I had this treaty with Louis, and and. I've just given it up for you, Henry, because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but Ferdinand stressed, since his year-long truce with France still had a few months to run, he could not, in all consciousness, break that treaty. So he wouldn't be doing any fighting himself. But good luck with it all, son. Oh, my goodness. He gave Henry some military advice, Henry being a novice and all this, and Ferdinand being an old hand, because Ferdinand started young, didn't he? Don't get bogged down with sieges. Just plough on and get as much territory under your belt as you can. But Henry didn't need advice. Mm. Yes, he does, <laughs> just not from Ferdinand. Henry, well, he doesn't need advice, he just won't take it. Henry begged his father-in-law to attack straight away since he needed the French troops to be split or they'd all be going after Henry. Ferdinand was in a difficult position. He needed to keep friendly with Henry but he didn't want to burn his bridges with Louis. So he told Henry he'd be willing to attack Aquitaine just as soon as Henry signed the new treaty. Now, this could take some time because since the Spanish ambassador had been coerced into signing the other treaty, Ferdinand insisted that everything be sent back to Spain for him to check. So we're probably talking September at the earliest. And obviously, if Henry queried anything on the treaty or wanted to make any changes, then it would have to go back and forth and it would take even longer, maybe November, and then, well, that's past the fighting season. <laughs> I still find it funny that there's a season. I understand it, but it just seems such an odd thing yes. to say. 
It's like Christmas season, <laughs> Halloween season. Yes, happy fighting season. season. <laughs> yeah, there ought to be happy songs as well, so with jingle bells and things. Yes. yes. Yeah, Just to make sure, Ferdinand sent an ambassador to where Henry and Maximilian were fighting with instructions to assess how well this war was likely to go. If it looked as if Henry might actually win and consolidate his success, the ambassador was to urge him to carry on fighting. If, on the other hand, it looked as if they were heading for a disaster, the Spanish ambassador was to prevent Henry from making a separate treaty with France. How? I don't know. Threaten him with Ferdinand, I should think. That's probably enough, isn't it? And since he was no longer sure of his sway over his son-in-law, well, I think here we go, Ferdinand dragged in the Pope, who was told to give similar instructions to his nuncios. And that way, Henry would feel the breath of God down his neck, I suppose, wouldn't he? So, oh God, not the Pope. The Spanish ambassador arrived to find that although the siege of Terroir had been won, Henry and Maximilian were bickering about the spoils of war and had pretty much fallen out with each other. <laughs> So there were discussions as to what to do next. <laughs> and the final result was that although on the 30th of August new reinforcements of Swiss and Burgundian troops arrived, the United Army did not march to Normandy. Henry's attempt to conquer great provinces of France was abandoned. Instead, he led his army to Tournai, abandoning Edin, H-E-S-D-I-N, <laughs> to, to its fate. <laughs> Tournai was fortified, but it had no garrison, so it was up to the citizens to to fight back so Henry achieved fairly easy victory easy victory but my god yeah. didn't he go on about it <laughs> oh yes I am amazing I am the best Catherine actually had to play down Flodden didn't she when, and play and play yes, up this little little thing yeah but it was as Ferdinand had feared Henry spent a month on one siege and he was very pleased with himself but the Spanish ambassador reported back that he didn't see it going anywhere Henry wrote to the Pope saying that the only reason his troops hadn't managed to chase the fleeing French army is because they ran away so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the Pope advised him to make peace with France, which is obviously not what Ferdinand wants. No, I thought Ferdinand had them. Yeah, well, I think the Pope's, Pope's a loose cannon sometimes, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I described them. <laughs> but, yes, but Henry felt that he was just getting started. I mean, he hadn't got where he got by making peace with France. No. So at least Ferdinand didn't have to fear Henry making a bilateral agreement with France. And in fact, Henry was in gambling mode again because he'd made this small gain with heavy losses. So now we need bigger yeah, gains. So next year, he'd have, a, have another go at recouping all those losses. Yes. Because uh, as every gambler knows, if you keep at it, you have to win sometime. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Education for any gambling listeners. You no. don't. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> Henry and Maximilian buried the hatchet, not in each other, they buried the hatchet enough to sign another treaty committing them to continue the fight. Because they are both, both very similar characters, I think. The Spanish ambassador was pre present, but he was under strict instructions to sign nothing. <laughs> not happening I'm, again. I'm not even giving you a pen. I Leave your pen in Spain. No. Henry and Maximilian would attack Picardy, Normandy and Burgundy, because as you remember, Maximilian was very keen to get Burgundy back. Ferdinand was to yes. attack Aquitaine for the sum of 20,000 gold coins a month, which was surprisingly modest. Wait, is they're, Ferdinand? They're now paying Ferdinand to, to get Aquitaine. Ah, okay. 
they're both paying for it now because Maximilian doesn't have any money. Well, maybe it's just Henry, but they, he's he's saying <laughs> that's from both of us, <laughs> like like you do ah. when someone else has got a present. Just say, well, that's from both of us. <laughs> when you hadn't realised it was someone's birthday. <laughs> yeah, this, this sum is surprisingly modest, but Henry and Maximilian spent all their money on the siege of Terroir and Tournay, and they weren't in a position to offer more. And anyway, Ferdinand said he could do it for that amount, so that was fine. Should they have been suspicious that Ferdinand said he could do it for a relatively small amount? No, no, it would be fine. The next year was going to be a triumph. Hmm? As you probably guessed, Ferdinand had no intention of attacking Aquitaine. <laughs> that's why the that's why the no. money money would go fine. Yeah, thank you. He hadn't abandoned his Italian plan, and so an attack would have been a disaster. Did he get the money before he decided he wasn't going to go? Well, he always he always knew he wasn't going to go. That was never yes. never on but the cards. They... But I'm not sure. Did he I'm get the money sure. though? I don't know. We it's strangely when you hear about Ferdinand, you know, when you hear about Maximilian, it's just money, 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 money. <laughs> yes, Ferdinand seems to be a different story. <laughs> they they've got America. Yes, completely. They? They've got gold coming in. Yes, from they do. The American money. Does he though? Is he? Does he have access to that right now? I would have thought so. yes, because we're yeah we're in fifteen fifteen Past fourteen. So yeah. Yes, Philip's gone. Yeah. Oh, he went a long time ago. He went in 1506. Yes. And Charles wouldn't be old enough to rule yet. yet. So, yes, yeah. he would be the only... Okay. Yes, yeah, he has true. access then. Even if he had been victorious, he wouldn't have been able to continue negotiations with Louis on the same terms because Louis would say, oh, what are you doing? You're invading my country. <laughs> and if he failed, he'd have lost and the whole deal would have gone forever. Yes. Meanwhile, Ferdinand had been making overtures to Maximilian. He sent word to him finally explaining his plans for Italy. Ooh. At least those parts that he thought Maximilian might go along with. Namely, the parts re related to Venice and the Tyrol. Maximilian had always wanted to take Venice so he could make a safe passage to Rome to get that magic crown. So he was hardly going to kick up a fuss about a plan to give Venice to his own grandson. Ferdinand kept quiet about the part about taking Genoa and Pavia and Milan because he still needed the consent of Louis that they would be part of Princess Renée's dowry. Okay. But that was not long in coming, because Ferdinand must have felt elated when in December 1514 news arrived that Louis had acceded to everything that Ferdinand had asked for. So everything he'd done had been leading to this point. It's all happening. He's got Maximilian on his side for, for Venice. He's got Louis giving him the rest. Yeah. It couldn't be better. And I assume that Louis was thinking that although he hadn't managed to take the whole of Italy himself, his family would still benefit from Spain's expansion plans through his daughter, René. Right. But it was not all plain sailing for Ferdinand. Louis added two clauses that were going to be problematical. Firstly, Louis had included a clause that committed both parties to regaining land that had been taken from them. Well, both, both Louis and Ferdinand have been remarkably successful. They took land. They didn't lose land. Yes. Except for Terroir and Tournai. So Louis yes. was asking Ferdinand to join with him in a battle against Henry and Maximilian. Oh. Because if, yeah, if Ferdinand agreed to, to get back land, land that they'd both lost in their own countries, mm -hmm. well, that's the only thing Louis has lost. And Hen Henry and right. Maximilian have taken it. <laughs> What the hell? 
The second clause stated that an alliance should be made, which include the Pope and Maximilian, but excluded Henry unless he handed back those territories. Okay. Well, Ferdinand's situation was this. If he agreed to these clauses, he'd lose his link with England. If he lost his link with England, he wouldn't have anything to threaten France with. If he couldn't threaten France, Louis might renege on some of his policies. So Louis had just out-chessed the chess master. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't feel gleeful for that, but I do. Because if, if, if Ferdinand refused to ratify those clauses, time would be lost. And he had learned from experience that if you don't grab things at the right time, they have a habit of slipping through your fingers. Yes. He decided that he would sign, but he would consult Maximilian first. Because if he did this behind Maximilian's back, it would be worse than if he explained to him first. At least that was his thinking. Right. He gave yes. instructions to the envoy to come clean about the whole Italian plan, pointing out the advantages of accepting Louis's terms for both of them. And the envoy was to stress Maximilian was not to tell anybody about this, which is a bit risky because <laughs> <laughs> Maximilian has a great blabbermouth. Yes. The object of the war, he said, is to obtain a good and durable peace. As in this case, a good peace was offered without war, it would be impious to shed the blood of Christians, wouldn't it, Maximilian? You don't want to be <laughs> impious, do you, Maximilian? No. Well, this was quite a tall order for Maximilian, since he'd have to give up his rights to Burgundy, which he'd been trying to get back in memory of his wife, Mary. As for Henry, he would not be treated harshly, but he really had to give back Terroin and Tournai. And if he did that little thing, and let's face it, he hadn't had it long, he wasn't going to miss it, he would get his French pension, plus Louis would promise not to make difficulties, should Henry decide he might like to take Scotland. (laughs) So we've just thrown Scotland into the ring now. Yes. Let's add another confusing (laughs) element. Although for Henry's side, I can see that. That totally makes sense. Yes. All right. Well, so France won't get in my way if I want to take Scotland. All I've got to do is give back these two little towns. Yes. Yeah. We can do that. But... This is this is for, through Ferdinand we're hearing this, and I'm not sure if Louis had been consulted about this part at all, because we know that Ferdinand is perfectly capable of lying through his teeth to get what he wants. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But if Henry didn't give up Terroir and Tournay, he was on his own. Ferdinand and Maximilian would have nothing to do with the venture. Mm. And I don't know, I don't suppose Ferdinand let on that he'd actually just signed a document to say that he'd have to fight Henry himself. <laughs> <laughs> However, (laughs) Henry was not told any of this. Ferdinand wanted to use him as his instrument right up to the wire. He was keeping keeping this as a possibility to tell him, but he didn't have to tell him yet. What was told to Henry was that Ferdinand was having trouble convincing the Spanish people that invading France was necessarily a good thing, since it was being done purely for the English king and Spain would get nothing from it. He said he was prepared to go against the wishes of his people. Such was the love he had for his son-in-law. Oh, of course. But that treaty they had between them, a few things needed changing on that. And some of the changes Ferdinand wanted to make were so trivial that he was was another delaying tactic. And all all that about the Spanish people not wanting to invade, it was all lies because obviously they hadn't been asked. (laughs) Because why would they? (laughs) Ferdinand had no intention of invading. (laughs) 
Holy cow. One of the changes to the treaty was just trying to wound Henry's puffed-up pride. Henry had called himself King of France and England. Ferdinand said that to call himself the King of France when he'd just captured one fortress and one city was just childish. And that's not what Henry wanted to hear. Now, quite apart from that, Ferdinand had made the treaty deliberately ambiguous, so Henry couldn't safely sign it since he wouldn't know what he was getting himself into. And while there was this delay, Ferdinand felt he could use Henry to threaten Louis. So as often with Ferdinand's plans, it seems to be on the brink of success. But he had been placing his hopes on the Queen of France, Anne of Brittany, because she was very keen that there should be peace. And Ferdinand had been relying on her to this end to put pressure on Louis. And this had been working because most of the more conciliatory clauses had come from Anne. And Ferdinand presumed this would continue. But she let him down. She died. Oh, oh! <laughs> That's okay, Ferdinand said to Louis. Marry my granddaughter, Eleanor. You know, she's not much to look at, but she'll do for getting yourself a son. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. You did not actually tell him that she wasn't very pretty, did she? Yeah, well, he said yes. Okay, said Louis, you're right. She's not much to look at, but what the hell? So all that sorted. <laughs> But then something really strange wow. happens. Margaret of Austria, who had refused Henry VII's proposal of marriage, despite the picture he'd sent her with the little fingers, suddenly expressed herself willing to marry Louis, thus setting herself in opposition to Ferdinand. Did Maximilian yeah. put her up to this? If, if so, what's going on in Maximilian's mind? On top of that, another enemy of Ferdinand came out of the woodwork, and we've come across him before. Juan Manuel, brother of Donna Elvira, who had been Catherine of Aragon's oh, chief yes. lady-in-waiting, and who tricked Catherine into betraying her father in a story we'll hear about in Elvira's cameo episode. Mm. Ferdinand had been trying to get him extradited from Flanders, but he heard about it in time to escape. And he was using Donna Maria del Salinas, who was another of Catherine's ladies-in-waiting, very beautiful, very popular in court, and strangely, she seems to have the ear of King Henry, into which she dripped poisonous remarks about the real intention of Ferdinand. Thank you. Somebody obviously knows what's going on. But all these hostile influences delayed the conclusion of the treaty between Ferdinand, Maximilian, Henry and Louis. Meanwhile, the truce was to come to an end on the 1st of April, which seems very apt, 1514. And had it not been renewed, a state of war would have been the immediate consequence because no choice was left for Ferdinand. As a so-called great chess player, he does seem to get himself trapped in corners quite a lot. He, renew he had to renew the truce with France on the 13th of March in Orléans, not only in his name, but also in the name of Maximilian, Henry and Charles V, which seems odd. Can you really sign treaties in other people's names? It seems you can, since people seem to be doing it all the time. I don't understand how you can. This time, Italy was not exempted. And this had to do with Margaret of Austria, who announced that if she couldn't marry Louis, she'd marry Massimiliano Sforza instead. Oh. So to make up her for her marital disappointment, they included Milan in the treaty too. Although just the following year, Louis gave Maximilian money to attack Milan, so so much for treaties. He wanted Henry to sign the treaty too, and Maximilian was sent to persuade him, since apparently he had a gentle and irresistible way about him, so he could be sure to win Henry over. But Henry had Juan Manuel whispering in his other ear. In February 1514, 
Charles V had just turned 14 years old, and Henry insisted that the ceremony of marriage to his sister Mary, that had been dragging on forever, should now be performed. Yes. Ferdinand and Maximilian were very much against this, because it was a, it was a waste as much as anything. Why throw away a perfectly good potential marriage on England? <laughs> oh, ouch. Okay. <laughs> well, they could choose someone from Hungary or Bir uh, Birmingham. <laughs> Bohemia. Birmingham. <laughs> There's a lot of words in this. They didn't want to come straight out and say it to Henry. Because <laughs> the more Ferdinand let Henry down, the more likely Henry was to believe the stories Juan Manuel was telling him. And Louis was quick to take advantage of the rift between Henry and his father-in-law and made a separate peace with Henry. Henry would get money both for him and his advisers, which was a clever move because you think, well, I advise you to take the money, my lord. <laughs> He also offered marriage between himself and Princess Mary. So obviously he did take a look at Eleanor and thought, oh, no, you're right, this woman's a moose. I'm not marrying her. <laughs> <laughs> did you just call her a moose? <laughs> but he'd broken the threat of Henry that Ferdinand had held over him. And so Mary and Charles V is off and Mary and Louis Twelfth is on. Mm, poor girl. Ferdinand may have lost by this, but Henry did not win because the mutual defence pact between Henry and Louis was very one-sided. No one was attacking England, so Louis just sent one soldier for England's defence. What? One? One? Yeah, well, well they don't need it because <laughs> no, no one's attacking for it. Even Scotland, apparently. Well, I suppose, yeah, they just had Flodden, so they're definitely not attacking England. No one's attacking England, so he sent them a but they had promised to defend each other. So Louis said, OK, have Bill over here. Go on, off you go. So he sends awesome. one. But lots of people are attacking France. So Henry would be required to send lots of soldiers and ships. Also, France was including Genoa and Milan as parts of its territories. So Henry had just signed up to protect them for Louis as well. He should have read the small prints. <sighs> This treaty only lasted a few months, yet its consequences sent waves down through history. For a start, it prevented Henry from taking Scotland, the prospect having been briefly tangled in front of him. But more importantly, it meant that Ferdinand's grand plan for the Kingdom of Italy, for, his, for the Infante Ferdinand, died a death. We ought to have a, de a death knell for this, because that's it. That is the plan that he's been working for all along, and it's gone. So it could not be used as compensation for the Infante's loss of his half of the Austrian inheritance, which is what it was all about. Here, you've lost Austria, yes. have great chunks of Italy. But he didn't lose his Austrian inheritance, but because the same argument applied as before, it would have been dangerous, dangerous to split up Austria with the Ottoman Turks on its doorstep. So Charles signed over his half of Austria to the Infante Ferdinand. So since he was the heir to the Austrian principalities, the Infante Ferdinand was the only possible husband for Princess Anne. And by this marriage, he acquired the okay. kingdoms of Hungary and Bohemia. See, they lost out. So he's... <laughs> the consequence was that no state of his own in Germany was left to Charles. He won the election as emperor, thanks to Jakob Fugger, but suffered, <laughs> money, but suffered the whole of his life from the same problem Maximilian had had. He's got no land in that area. He's just mm -hmm. the emperor. 
So, because of this, the younger branch of the Habsburgs, those descended from the Infante Ferdinand, provided the future emperors. Charles had Spain, the Americas, the Burgundian dominions, Naples, Sicily, All the things and Milan. Money. But the, so the Habsburg Empire was split in two. And Ferdinand's plan that Charles should be lord of virtually everything, while the Infante Ferdinand gradually took over Italy, came to nothing. So Ferdinand is the Habsburgs, really. He is the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which should have been Charles. But because of all this faffing about... <laughs> Scheming! It's now, it's now gone with Ferdinand. And there, with Ferdinand's failure to carry out that grand plan into which he'd poured everything... Everything. It turned so many people's lives upside down, had a whole bunch of people killed. A lot, a lot of treaties. Yeah. Henry came to hate his father-in-law so much yeah. that anyone <laughs> mentioning him was likely to get an earful of abuse. <laughs> Don't you talk to me about that man. Yeah. The Spanish ambassador was not treated like a representative of foreign power, but like, quote, a bull at whom all persons throw darts, unquote. And it means a bull in a dartboard, not a bull, <laughs> not the animal. <laughs> Henry even went so far as to announce that he was going to attack Castile, but was dissuaded by Louis, who said that it'd be better to pretend to be friends with your father-in-law and to worm his secrets out, and then he should tell them all to Louis. Louis then went on to ask Henry not only for money to get Milan back, but also to relieve the pressures of taxation on the French people. Well, Henry had agreed to the former in the treaty with Louis, but the second part seemed to be pushing it a bit. Oh, and by the way, could you give me some money? Because I want to bring the taxes down. But then Louis died. And while Henry was ranting about his father-in-law, Ferdinand had only nice words to say about Henry. He's a tad oily, Ferdinand, in some ways. There was some re reconciliation between Henry and Ferdinand, but it was mainly an excuse on Henry's part to break his treaty with France. Because by that time, of course, we've got Francis I. And poor Catherine was stuck in the middle of all this. Yep. She decided to side with her husband. So when Ferdinand tried to use her as a conduit to get, get at her husband, she refused. Towards the end, May 1512, Ferdinand started to suffer from the illness that would eventually kill him. I'm not sure what it was. I don't think it was that one. At least there's been no mention of that from any of the sources I looked at. Even though he did go to Naples. It was conjectured it might have something to do with his heart, exacerbated by the Renaissance Viagra made from bull's testicles that Germaine had been giving him. I forgot about that. So, yeah, as usual, it's cherchez la femme. While over in England, little Princess Mary, daughter of Henry and Catherine, was being christened in the church of the observant friars, Ferdinand died. As with so many of these people, he was hunting and hawking and ignoring the doctor's advice. <sighs> he suddenly sickened and died on the 23rd of January, 1516. Wow. In his will, he left his lands to Juana, stipulating that since she was defect in wisdom... 
Charles should do the actual governing. <laughs> Naples went to Charles's younger brother, the Infante Ferdinand. <laughs> Charles was 16. The Infante Ferdinand was 13. Ferdinand wrote a letter to Charles. It began, That it has pleased God, our Lord, to put us in such straits that we are more a dead man than a live one. Unquote. Ferdinand told Charles how much he regretted the fact that they would never meet. It's extremely strange to think they never met. They're brothers and they never no, met? No, no, no. Ferdinand, not the Infante Ferdinand. Oh. I'm, oh. Not, I'm not sure. They probably didn't, the brothers probably didn't see much of each other either. They were brought up in separate places. Yeah. He asked Charles to look after Jermaine. I couldn't find this letter, so I don't know if he asked him to look after Juana. But Charles did, sort of, in as much as he looked after the same way that her father had looked after her. Mm. Hmm. When Ferdinand died, he was mourned by both his daughters, bizarrely. I mean, the both daughters that we've looked at. A message was sent to Charles to say he's, he's, he's gone. But the first thing the Cardinal Cisneros <laughs> did in his new role as regent was to put Charles's brother, the Infante Ferdinand, under house arrest. Oh, my. But what happened next, we'll have to see in Charles's episode. Or indeed Ferdinand's. Oh my goodness. So there we go. That was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> that was frustrating, but not frust. I didn't find Ferdinand frustrating in that. I found Henry being so dumb frustrating. <laughs> Shall we rate him then? Uh... <laughs> and Fibberly. Intrigue. I would, I would give him a oh. hundred. Ten. Ten. Can't I give him a hundred? <laughs> I think he's probably the most intriguing of all we've done. I think so. Yeah. So you're giving him a ten as well? If that's, all, if that's the highest I can give him, yes. <laughs> Somehow we gave John de la Pole the same score. I don't think he did anything like that. No. I don't know. I'm going to have to re-listen to mm. that one. This is the thing. If we had compared him against Ferdinand... Yeah. All of these th people, I think, would have dropped would have down. Been down quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ferdinand's most famous saying, we can't give him more, but anyway, quote, only God's infallibility is resolute. Everything else is subject to change. Anyone who claims otherwise is either a browbeater or a simpleton, neither of which I want to be. So he actually reveled in his, the fact he didn't stick to anything. And why not? I mean, this... Well, up, up to the point it didn't work. It was going really well. <laughs> wow. It didn't. I, wow. I don't think we can. He can I don't think you can lose points for it not working because. No. Yeah. 20 out of 10. Mm. <laughs> well, 20 out of 20, really. But still, if we could give him more, we would, I think. Antiperistasis. Well, he made a very good move when he married Isabella true but that was isabella's decision he signed the document <laughs> <laughs> but isabella went against all of her advisors and everybody and she negotiated the marriage she approached them for the yeah. marriage so all he did was say yes but he did say yes i'll give him yeah. one because he didn't gain much more but he didn't lose much well he whether it was his thing or not, he was the king of a little bit of Spain and he ended up being the king, well, he was the king of, of the little bit and the regent of, the re of most of the rest and king of Navarre, presumably. Mm, true. 
and Naples. But Naples... All right, that was partly Gonzalo de Cordoba, el yes. gran capitán. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it was done in his name. True. I think he deserves more than one because... Yes. I'm going to give him... I'm going to give him a five. I'm going to give him a four. Okay. Martyrdom. Martyrdom. Zero. He had been fighting since he was a teen. He had been fighting since he was a teenager. First for his dad, <laughs> then for Isabella, and then in his own right. Do we know that he was physically? Well, of course he yeah. was physically in the battle. Yes, he was. <laughs> and he did get stabbed in the neck. Well, he was just walking down the stairs at the time. I don't think. <laughs> yes, but if I remember correctly, they were walking down the stairs in a conquered city. No, oh, yeah. And they went in before it had been subdued. Yeah, he was obviously willing to put himself into in danger. But trying to get what you want, is that martyr, very martyry? It doesn't sound very martyry to me. No, not yeah. really. I'll do right in the middle because he was willing to, like he was obviously willing to put himself in danger for what he was going for. Yeah. But was what he was going for a good thing to go for? Does that matter in martyrdom? How many of these have we done? It's been so long <laughs> since we've rated, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'll give him a four. Okay. What are you giving him? I'm giving him a four. Right, okay. So that's an eight for martyrdom. <laughs> Beteen. Well, his Beteen's interesting because we know all know Ferdinand, but we know him as Ferdinand and Isabella. Do we know yes. Ferdinand? Obviously not, because I had gotten... Well, no. When I first went in, it was Ferdinand and Isabella, and they were sort of a unified single entity in my brain. And then I read about Isabella, and it became Isabella and the useless appendage of Ferdinand. Yeah. <laughs> and now it... He is definitely... He's a person in his own right now. Yes. But would I have known that if we hadn't? Did he did he start any universities? Did he start anything other than just war? I don't know. I've not heard anything about that. He might have done, but it wasn't in anything I read about him because it was mainly about war and intrigue. I can I can only give him a two. One for the fact that he is, his name is fairly known. And two, for all the lives he destroyed by constant machinations. But I'm pretty sure they hate him for it. Yeah. But whether they like him or not, do we know him now? I, I think I'm going to have to give him a five because we do know him, but we only know him as half of a double act. Okay. I'm going to stick with my two. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> a seven for the team. Flaunt of bleeding flaunt. Flaunt Flaunt. We gave lots of points to Maximilian for his portraiture because he had an eye to propaganda and made sure his image was plastered everywhere. But Fer yes. Ferdinand doesn't seem to do the same. In fact, this, no. there's one picture that appears everywhere and very few others, and this one doesn't really have a lot of symbolism. No, it doesn't. Got quite a hefty double chin. I love chin. the detail in the top, though. Mm. His shirt or coat. That's gorgeous. He's got rather bloodshot eyes. Yes, he does. They look like they're bleeding. Yes. He's obviously had a lot of late nights, I think, isn't he? Plotting. Yes. Walking up and down his room, plotting. 
Yeah. So that's one of them. And then we've got another one. Oh, a statue. Yes. But he's not wearing any of the right clothes. <laughs> no, and it doesn't look like him at all. Well, I don't know. Hair. He's got the hair, but no, he's wearing, he looks more like um, he's wearing Walter Raleigh clothes. <laughs> yes, and no chin. Uh, well, I might see him from the side. Like the but... double chin. The double yeah. chin is gone. And the other picture, well, there's there's a few of these. And there's quite a few pictures of Ferdinand and Isabella. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Isabella must be more keen on portraiture than Ferdinand because once she's gone... There's no more portraits or very few. Yes, or not very few. Whereas she, she's got her face everywhere, hasn't she? And she's got pictures of both of them everywhere. So... I'm going to give him a seven. Because it sure does look like a likeness, mm. which we've seen others was not. And I really like the detail in the clothing. Um, yes, uh, there isn't there isn't the symbolism, though, that we, we, we oh, look for. Oh, yes, you're right. Five. Yeah, I think five. There's a lot. There's, I quite like the picture of him. I do love his bloodshot eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and because we divide that he into two, looks exhausted. Total of five. Yes, he does. And then with everything he was doing, I'm not surprised. Yes. So, what we got then? 49. 49. That's pretty good, really. Middling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he'd like to be thought of as middling. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> nope. So, yeah, we've got to ask this question now after three episodes. What do you think? Oh, that ain't too delicious. Oh, what? I so don't want to give it to him, but he was so manipulative and people were dancing to his tune. Mm. I feel like he deserves it. I think so. I, one of the, it's one, I think so, too. Usually I know straight off whether someone's going to get it or not. But this one, I thought, I, I, I like, like you, I thought... I don't like him. <laughs> no. And also we've got to take into account his relationship with his family. His children. Yes, he's awful. Oh, but so that would be a no. Yeah, but he manipulated everybody. I think we've got that's got to be a serious ruler. Yeah, I mean, when you think about what we've got, we've got the expulsion of the Jews, expulsion of the Muslims. He's awful to his children. Ooh. He's Ooh. he wages yeah, war on no. everything. <laughs> and yet, I'm a no. You're definitely a no now. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when you itemize it all, it's all horrendous. Yes, but we gave it to Isabella and she did the she same thing. She did the same things. thing, although she was nicer to her children, yes. But yeah, I, I think he's got to have it. So do I, even though I really don't like him. Hmm. Well, congratulations, Ferdinand. Yes. We have gr grudgingly given you. You're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> okay, and now... Ooh, this is exciting. We haven't had this for a while. Okay, Ooh. let's see what we got. See what we got. I'm quite tense. Wow, how handy is this? William Stanley. Oh, right. I th I'm doing Thomas. I thought you were going to say Juana. 
I thought, how do we how no. do we convince people that wasn't rigged? <laughs> These are definitely not rigged, but we're going to be able to do the brothers one after another. Yeah. Because my next one's Thomas. That is going to be interesting. That's pretty cool. Oh. I'm actually excited for that. William Stanley, was he a traitor or no? We'll finally have an answer. It's going to be quite interesting to come back to England. I haven't been in England for ages. Yes. <laughs> the last time I came to, I was in England was the Cornish Rebellion. Yes. <laughs> Four episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Hmm. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, that'll be interesting. That is the end of our episode on Ferdinand of Aragon episodes. Mm -hmm. We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us for the next episode on, well, the regular episode is going to be Thomas Stanley. You can find details of the podcast and contact us on... In the meantime, the tiger now hath seized the gentle hind, insulting tyranny begins to jet upon the innocent and all is thrown. I was a pack-horse in his great affairs, a weeder out of his proud adversaries, a liberal rewarder of his friends. To royalise his blood, I spilt mine own. Goodbye. Goodbye. Push them on the swing Tuesday I take them for a swim We share an ice cream We paddle in the stream We roast marshmallows on the fire On Wednesday I take them to the park Thursday it's stories in the dark Just me and my crew Playing buckaroo I give them whatever they desire Sanity, I question your humanity Locking her away Siding with the man who made her life such hell You malign her good name and take her son as well It's your family you betray On Friday I help them ride their bikes Saturday we all go for a hike but just don't make me cross Or I'll show you who is boss But don't you go calling me a thug On Sunday we kick leaves in the wood At Christmas you get presents if you're good So just don't make me mad I am the world's best dad See? See?
It's written, it's written on, on his mug.